Good morning and welcome to the Christian Underground News Network. It is Tuesday morning, November the 16th, and we are thrilled to be here with you and we're glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, we have our regular Tuesday guest, Dr. J.B. Hickson with us this morning, and oh, have we got a show planned for you today. What we're going to be doing today, I think we mentioned it last week, uh, J.B., we're going to be doing a kind of a question and answer format for this hour. We've got some questions, and I'll bet dollars to donuts that you've got some answers, but before we get into that, I'd like to make a couple of brief announcements about our uh, new website, whatsaysthescripture.com, uh, and it, it's still undergoing construction. Uh, Lucas Doremus is working on that for us. We plan to have that available in a couple of weeks, probably, and up and running at full speed, so be watching for that. Uh, you'll be able to send in your questions and comments and criticisms and whatnot, and uh, we, we look forward to hearing from all of our listeners. Um, also want to make sure that we remind everybody to tune in uh, at notbyworks.org, and you can live stream Dr. J.B. Hickson's ongoing series, How to Read and Interpret the Bible. Uh, you are, what session is this now, seven or eight? Uh, I think it's seven, give or take, yeah, and uh, yeah, we're really enjoying that, some really good stuff, and uh, that's at six o'clock Mountain Time every Wednesday. Um, right. Although tomorrow I'll be making some announcements about the upcoming holiday schedule because of my travel and Thanksgiving and stuff. We're going to be kind of hit or miss. We may do some different things, but, but uh, yeah, tune in tomorrow night, six o'clock, notbyworks.org. And um, I was going to, I was going to say, you know, you commented a moment ago that you bet dollars to donuts that I'll have answers to these questions. I'm wondering if I can just uh, stipulate that I have the answers and you send me a box of donuts and we call it a day. How about okay. that? That sounds like a plan. I, we can do that. That seems like a safer route for me to go. Oh, uh, well, you know, we're not, we're not too concerned for your safety, JB. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, and you're not either. You're not I'm feeling the love. Here. Yeah, You're I feel the love. Kidding anybody here, brother? We <laughs> we know that you are one sharp cookie. You know we appreciate you because iron sharpens iron. And, and actually, if if you're ready to start this session off, uh, we kind of like the pastor and I discussed this, and we'd like to start the session off the question and answer session with a question that we have that we kind of disagree with. But I'm going to let Pastor introduce the question. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, here he is. Here I am. And there you are. Okay. <laughs> now, I have uh, I have wrestled with this for years, and I haven't vacillated from what I think. And Curtis thinks something else, and we didn't arm wrestle over it, but I'm too old to <laughs> win that one anyway. So, so here's here's the question. And uh, and and after I ask this, I'll have other questions to go along with it. But here, but here's the question. Genesis 14, 18, and you already know the question. Who was Melchizedek? Mm. Now, was, was Melchizedek a real man who was the king of Salem, uh, who was a type of Christ, or was this a Christophany? Uh, which is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And I must tell you, we've, 
uh, I've gone to Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 on this a lot of times, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what I think, but or what Curtis thinks, because you don't have to take sides. You got to be on God's side on this one, okay? Amen. Well, I tell you what, I was kind of joking before we started off air about how, uh, when you didn't tell me the question, but you said whatever it was, you and Curtis uh, don't necessarily agree on your interpretation. And I joked that, uh, well, I may take a, a different view than both of you. And uh, given the two options that you gave me, and let me repeat them for our listeners and also to make sure I heard them right, you said, uh, uh, on the one hand, he, Melchizedek uh, in the day of Abraham back in the Old Testament was a real man uh, who served as a type of Christ, or was he a Christophany, in other words, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and if those are my only two options, I would say neither. So wow. let me ex let me explain what I mean. So uh, first of all, I, I think it's very uh, clear from Scripture that he was a real man. And uh, he was a priest who lived in the days of Abraham uh, prior to the establishment of the, uh, you know, the Jewish priesthood and the uh, line of Aaron and, and uh, the Levites and so forth. Uh, however... Uh, I do not believe he was a type because I hold a very strict view of typology in Scripture that limits typology to explicitly designated types in Scripture, because uh, I think we run into a, a risk when we um, make observations in Scripture and declare them to be types when Scripture doesn't explicitly declare that. So I do think there are some interesting observations about uh, Melchizedek, which I'm sure um, we, we can get into in terms of uh, there's no record of a father or mother. Of course, Jesus, you know, well, was, we, we've been through that one. Yeah. yeah. So but that doesn't necessarily mean it was a type. And, you know, in our Wednesday night series where we're studying how to read and understand the Bible, we're going to get eventually down into the nuts and bolts and talk about, uh, you know, typology and uh, whether you, we have the authority in reading scripture to uh, designate something as a type. Now, for some of our listeners who may not know what we mean by that, a typology uh, generally it's the, comes from the Greek word tupos, and it, it, it's when the Old Testament, uh, rather when the New Testament uses something from the Old Testament symbolically and sort of makes a application from it as, uh, you know, as a type. And so sometimes in the New Testament, we'll say, the, especially in Hebrews, it'll say these things happened as, as our example, or these things were the shadow of things to come, those types of things. But uh, as it relates to Melchizedek, um, I would stop short of, of declaring that it was a type, that he rather was a type of Christ. But I do think uh, the clear, plain reading of the text indicates he was a, 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 a historical figure who lived during the time of Abraham. There's nothing within, uh, you know, Genesis, the Genesis account and Genesis, I think you mentioned it was Genesis 14, that would lead us to believe that he was angelic uh, or otherwise um, divine in some way, but, you know, like a Christophany. And so we, we cannot, you know, bring our interpretation to the text. Um, Genesis 14, 18 simply says he was the king of Salem. Yep. And uh, he brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. 
And uh, Abraham, as you know, paid a tithe to him, interacted with him. And then the Hebrews in the New Testament refers back to him, saying that essentially Christ uh, is, is a priest that predates the Jewish priesthood. Uh, he um, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, uh, you know, quoting from the famous Messianic Psalm there, Psalm 110. And uh, the whole point of that comparison is to illustrate, the, the writer of Hebrews is illustrating to his first century uh, Jewish Christian audience that Jesus Christ is far superior than anything uh, Judaism as a religious system had to offer, that Christ is the consummation or the fulfillment of all of the shadows of the Jewish system, the sacrificial system. And so he points out that unlike the, the priests in, um, in Israel uh, who trace their line back to Aaron, uh, Jesus himself goes back even further, and, and he's a priest in the line of Melchizedek, the, uh, you know, the priest of God, of God Most High. So I don't think it's a Christophany. I think he's a historical figure. It wouldn't make sense to me, given the Hebrews' uh, comparison, to say that Christ is a priest forever according to the order of Christ. That would be uh, redundant. Um, and it also, I think, would, would be, we would, if we said it was a, he was a Christophany of pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, then it would really, uh, I think, create problems with the plain, normal, literal meaning of the historical account uh, in Genesis. So that's my view. I know there are some great uh, theologians that, that have historically, you know, taught that this, that Melchizedek either was Christ or, you know, was a type of Christ. Uh, for the reasons I just explained, I would, I would uh, reject both of those uh, views. Oh, okay. Okay, so JB1. Wait a minute. Curtis and Pastor Zero. I have some more questions about this. And yeah. it's, these are not really questions. I just comments that, that kind of uh, rang a bell in my head. Just before this uh, appearance of Melchizedek, uh, Abraham was called in Genesis 14, verse 13, a Hebrew. And that was the first mention of the word Hebrew. It came after, yeah. And it was after the battle of. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, he was called the Hebrew, uh, and so, so he was actually the first Jew. Yeah, he's, you know, Father Abraham, he's the patriarch, even though Israel didn't, as a nation, come into existence until after, you know, Jacob and his line, his 12 sons, um, and Jacob, of course, uh, Abraham's grandson, and his name was changed to Israel. Uh, but still, the Jews uh, to this day look to Abraham as the father of the Jewish people. Yeah. Okay. Then at this meeting, uh, Melchizedek brought uh, bread and wine. Is that the precursor to uh, the, our communion service today? I don't think so. I mean, again, the church is a mystery that was completely unrevealed and unknown in the Old Testament. Um, I think it, bread and wine were, were extremely common, uh, you know, uh, uh, elements in meals, both in Abraham's day and in the first century. You know, they didn't have 
quite the menus that we have today, but uh, it would be like if we said uh, that they brought out a basket of rolls and we assumed from that, oh, they must be at, you know, Texas Roadhouse. Well, there are, you know, <laughs> dozens of restaurants that serve rolls at the, you know, with your meal or, you know, when you sit down at the table. So I think uh, bread and wine were the common uh, foods uh, and drink of the day. And I wouldn't make any parallels necessarily to the Lord's Supper, because again, the church, there, there are no allusions to the church in the Old Testament. Okay, that's true. Yeah, there is. That's, yeah, there is not. That's, uh, that's true. So, all right. Um, it hasn't, totally answered my question because <laughs> Curtis and I now have to shrug our shoulders and say it wasn't either one. Yeah. And I have to shake his hand and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Me too. Here we go. Me too. Yeah. Well, sorry. you know, and again, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a huge deal about the typology issue. That's more of a hermeneutical issue, a, a Bible study method issue. And, uh, if you read, for example, uh, the late Roy Zook, who was a friend of mine, uh, uh, in fact, he, he helped uh, co-author of one of my books, uh, Freely by His Grace. Yeah. Uh, he's written, I think, an exceptional book on uh, typology. Uh, it's a chapter in his book on, um, on how to study the Bible. I forget the name of it. But I think it's called Basic Bible Interpretation is the title now that, now that I think about it. But in Basic Bible Interpretation, Roy Zook has a, an excellent uh, discussion of typology. And I just believe that uh, while there are clear parallels, say, for example, Joseph, a lot of people say Joseph was a type of Christ, because as far as the historical record is concerned in Genesis, we have no record of him ever really making a mistake, doing anything wrong. He was obviously uh, persecuted, and he was, uh, you know, made a, a sacrifice in a sense, not killed, but he was put in a you know, prison and sold into slavery only to later redeem his brothers. So there are a lot of, you know, interesting illustrations, but sometimes if we, if we start originating our interpretations in our own mind by simply making observations, and then we end up connecting dots that, you know, aren't legitimate. And so we have to make sure we let the text speak where it speaks and be silent where it's silent. And because the text never explicitly identifies Melchizedek as a type of Christ, uh, I would I would stop short of that. Okay. Okay. Well, this, this question actually tied in nicely with your current series, didn't it, JB? It did. Yeah. Well, you know me, I always seize every opportunity to plug what we're doing at Not By Works. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's, yeah, it's good. And there he is with the Scud missile. And we're good. coming up. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's the junior Scud. Okay. That's the junior Scud. Yeah. Yeah, okay. they're talking For those about. Of you, uh, you can't see us now. Uh, that that's what we call JB's coffee cup. It's, it, it's it, like a his, Scud silo. His his real coffee cup sits taller than he does yeah. on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that's. Uh, you know, got you got to stay uh, stay hydrated here, especially with all these hard, <laughs> hard questions. I feel like I'm on the hot seat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we, I, I got a couple of more questions now. Curtis got one more, but I'm gonna. Uh, I've got seniority in the family. Oh, so, crud! So I get to ask. Them. <laughs> and and here's one in Mark chapter 16, and uh, and it says in well, let's turn to it. Mark chapter 16. Jesus had just appeared to Mary Magdalene, 
and uh, then it says a couple of verses later that he appeared uh, in another form to two of them. What is that another form? So we're in which verse here? Um, okay, verse. Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse uh, 12, I think. Yeah, there it is. Yep. 12, to, uh, 12 through 14. Yeah. So um, obviously the post-resurrection appearances of Christ are, are really fascinating, appearing ultimately to thousands of people. Um, he was in his resurrected body, yeah. and the Bible never explicitly describes that anatomy, but we know it was different, that there was something different about it, and yet he retained his identity. So um, he didn't morph into, and that's the, the word there, by the way, in verse 12, uh, Mark 16, 12, is uh, when it says he appeared in another form, that's morphe, where we okay. get uh, uh, morphology uh, uh, or metamorphosis, that kind of a thing. Um, but uh, we, whatever form it was, they, it was, he was still Jesus. Yeah. And so I can't really answer the question, you know, definitively in terms of, you know, what form was it? Um, but I can give you a little bit of biblical anthropology here because uh, a lot of times people really misunderstand what happens uh, after death and when we when we uh, receive our human being human uh, resurrected bodies so one of the things we need to understand is that jesus christ is fully human uh, not that he was fully human he is fully human he is 100 percent yeah. god and 100 man yes. uh, humanity is a created class of being that once you exist as a human being, you're always a human being. So Jesus didn't become a human during his earthly you know, life. And then now that he's back in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God, he's so somehow no longer human. Uh, going back to Hebrews, Hebrews makes it clear that you know, Jesus is our one and only ultimate high priest and that every high priest must be chosen from among men. So uh, so he, even after he resurrected from the dead and was in his glorified body, so to speak, uh, he did not cease to become human. So therefore, everybody recognized him from when they had walked and talked with him prior to the crucifixion. And the same thing will be true for us, contrary to popular, you know, Hollywood myth or whatever, we don't become angels or change our classification when we die. I'll always be JB. You'll always be, you know, Curtis and Dick and, and we'll know each other in heaven, but what form we will take on, we know that flesh and blood, which are a product of this earthly realm, the time, space, and matter in the created realm, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. So ultimately, when time shall be no more, and this old earth constrained by sin under the curse of sin is destroyed, and God recreates the heavens and the earth in sinless perfection uh, that will be uh, eternal in their nature, not bound by time, space, and matter. For example, in eternity, there's no night, uh, those types, no darkness, those types of things. So uh, in that time, we will not have flesh and blood bodies because flesh and blood cannot coexist outside of time, space, and matter. So 
uh, I think a lot of people have made the parallels with Jesus' resurrected body uh, and our glorified bodies, and I think those are reasonable correlations, but we always have to remember that the one thing that sets Jesus Christ apart from every other human being is that he is also fully God, 100% yeah. God. And the theological term for that, I know you know this, is uh, called the hypostatic union, that mm -hmm. he is fully God and fully man at the same time. Yeah, I got a follow-up question to this, though. Uh, I, and every time I read that, then I, then I run over to 1 John chapter 3, and I think you know where I'm going with this. And it says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And then he says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, before you answer that question, I got another question. Is that a direct reference to Revelation chapter 19? Uh, when he is revealed, um, I don't know, because for the believer in the church age, there are two revelations of Christ. There's the revelation of Christ at the rapture, when we meet the Lord in the air and see him face to face. But yeah. then there's the revelation of the Lord at the second coming in Revelation 19, which you just referenced. But by that time, we will have already seen him and been with him for at least seven years. In fact, yeah. we will be coming back with him to, to rule and reign on the earth. So Absolutely. I think I correlate 1 John 3 more with the Romans 8. Um, and, uh, you know, where uh, Paul says uh, our sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Um, and he goes on to talk about, um, you know, the, the ultimate redemption of our bodies. Um, so, yeah, but I definitely think 1 John 3 is a beautiful, wonderful blessing that does kind of relate to what we're talking about here of our, of our, of our resurrected bodies, which every believer of the, in the present church age who's died will receive their resurrected body at the rapture. Remember, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, so that's speaking of believers who, whose body is in the grave. We know that at the moment of death for a believer, that our soul goes immediately to be in the presence of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from this body, where, which is just a tent that we're living in, is to yeah. be present with the Lord. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Thanks. Yeah, so, so that's what happens at death, but our body, our physical bodies made up of you know, flesh and blood and bone and, and vessels and all of that uh, goes to the grave or, or wherever it's burned up or it's lost at sea, whatever. But at the rapture, according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, the, the very atoms that comprise our physical nature will be reconstituted into a glorified form, reunited with our bodies for all of eternity, and uh, that's when, you know, that's when I think we receive this, this body that John is talking about when he says it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Notice, like him doesn't mean like him in his essential being as God. It, uh, it's the same thing that uh, Moses wrote in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God created man 
according to his likeness or in his image. Okay. But not we're not gods. God just has a divine design, a pattern for his highest pinnacle of creation, mankind, man and woman. And, uh, and he made us according to that design. And that's what we call the image of God in man. So when John says that when Christ appears, we will be like him, it doesn't mean we become gods. That's what a lot of false teachers uh-huh. uh, have, have taught that, you know, somehow we become you know, divine or deity when we die. That's not true. So we'll have eternal bodies even unto the new heavens and the new earth. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and we'll never die. That's right. And we have a, uh, no, there's no more. Remember uh, Revelation 20. uh, Let me call it up. There shall be no more uh, 21, excuse me. There shall be no more uh, death uh nor sorrow nor crying no more pain for the former things have passed away revelation 21 verse 4 um i might mention that we have uh a chart a couple of charts that relate to this topic that we're discussing one of them is called what happens to the body at death and that goes through all of human history uh in in every age you know believers and unbelievers alike uh, and explains that. And then the other one is when will believers receive their resurrected bodies? And that's another chart. And all of those are in the Not By Works book of uh, charts, of theological charts, diagrams, and illustrations, which okay. is available either as a digital download or a, a book form. So. Oh, great. I'm going to get it. I've yeah. got most of your books. I don't have those charts. That's yeah, great. we'll send, shoot well, me an email and I'll send it to you. It's available. Uh, at the not by work store but you know for our vip friends we we have a special system we can somehow get it to you i i, I hope that means what i think it means a vip <laughs> okay okay now I, we've only gone through two questions and i got two more one of them i touched on uh in our last episode and i, I what's the significance in in uh in the gospel of john um I think it's John chapter 21, verse 11. Uh, The the fact that there were 153 fishes in that net and the net was so full that it wasn't broken. What's the significance of 153? Yeah, so that's another great question. I I do think we briefly touched on it uh, uh, in a previous podcast some time ago, but um, that's a strangely specific number, isn't it? Um, Yeah. And so, however, again, this goes back to basic rules of, of hermeneutics and how to study the Bible. Um, because the text doesn't explicitly identify the, the, any type of significance of that number, then we're left just leaving it uh, as a mystery. Because to otherwise, we're, we're originating the meaning of it in our own minds, and there might be as many interpretations of the significance of the number 153 as there are people looking at the verse so the best we can do is make some interesting speculations and comments and thoughts but uh, i don't know that we can be definitive uh, unless the text is is definitive yeah and i was watching a a bible program oh this had to be 10 or 12 13 years ago uh where someone broached that question and uh, and there was a panel there, and one person on the panel said that the only 
153 that he's ever found in the scriptures was the fact that the word Zion appears 153 times in the Old Testament. And, uh, and I didn't, I couldn't even make a connection with that. But having said that, I counted them from, you know, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which I love. And, and I counted them, 153 mentions of Zion. But then I found out that there were a couple of more mentions where the word was spelled with an S, Zion, and it meant essentially the same thing. So yeah, so that, that kind of rules that out. Yeah, and again, even that would be totally just coincidental. That that kind of gets into the territory of the the Bible code and and counting. Oh, yeah. the, there's probably 153 occurrences of of certain prepositions too, or you know whatever. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, it would be and 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 of course the Bible wasn't written in English, so mm, the question true. isn't is it Zion or Sion. The question is, what's the Hebrew word, yeah. and how? And and we and that, like you said, you used Strong's exhaustive concordance. Um, but uh, you know, it, it. I just we just can't really go down that road. Um, the point of the the story, the historical account there in John chapter uh, twenty one, is just to show Christ's power and. Uh, as so as he did so many other times and uh they had breakfast together yeah. and the, the sweet fellowship of the resurrected lord yeah. and to, to zero in on a particular number to me i i admit it's strangely specific but then again if you're giving an accurate historical account you know that yeah. you're going to be specific okay. right okay. uh doesn't mean there's some symbolic meaning behind the number uh there just happened to be 153 fish <laughs> yep hey and can i tell you this for our listeners uh, i i i don't get hung up on those things and i don't think they should be either yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah uh, it's okay i guess to ask the questions and to, and to see if there's an answer but uh, you know paul said and now i see through a glass darkly but then face to face, and then shall I know even as also I am known. I don't know if that's the first question I'll ever ask Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but it was in the Bible. So I thought I'd ask it and, and you're smart. So who else, <laughs> who else am I going to ask? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got you guys fooled. I'm glad to know that. No, you don't have <laughs> us. You don't have us fooled. We started coming to Groveland Missionary Church because we heard you on your Monday night lessons on prophecy and i said to my wife who came with me one time and i said this is a place you know it's funny you mentioned that uh pastor dick because last week on our time together on tuesday morning uh we talked about um can we predict the date of the rapture and in the course of our discussion i made reference to a two-part message that i did years ago at that very monday night prophecy meeting we used to meet every other monday yep. and um and then after we finished the recording last tuesday i went and dug that up from the archives i oh, uh, added a little intro to the beginning and i reposted it so for our listeners who haven't found it yet if you haven't noticed it yet on our podcast uh, channel uh you can actually go back and listen to part one and two of the set the, the message was called the blood moon and Shemitah hysteria. 
and uh so that's it's kind of a blast from the past but still okay. it's uh it's interesting and you can find that at uh obviously at the not by works mobile app and by the way if you haven't downloaded that yet you've got to download it it's an awesome free app and it's got everything you need about not by works ministries uh, including all of the podcasts uh, but you can also find it wherever you listen to your podcasts but yeah those were some fun sweet times great memories of our time uh, there in central illinois and um and i don't think that ministry uh, is still going as far as i've heard uh, uh, i haven't heard either no, yeah I it was it was called until he returns and we would have uh when we met at groveland you know it, it eventually expanded and would meet at different churches uh in fact the, the the message that i'm talking about that i delivered back in 2015 was what happened to be one of the ones that was held at a different church but um i know at groveland we would have easily 120 people easily. On, a, on a monday night you know yeah yeah that was easy i got a whole lot of charts from the table that you set up and i've still got them and i and i refer to them so, well i hope i haven't changed my view since then on anything oh you probably haven't yeah when you're right you're right what the heck okay i got one more question if okay. that's all right you we bet. have time oh yeah and i don't and i i've wrote a booklet i wrote a booklet on this very subject and I couldn't come to a, to a definite conclusion. Uh, as much as I studied, I just couldn't come to a conclusion. And, and that question is, where is heaven? Hmm. And, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, so all I can do is sort of recount, if you will, the biblical data. And then uh, there are some scholars who've really focused on this and tried to come up with some definitive conclusions. But um, I, I am kind of a simple guy. And so I try to just keep it pretty simple. Yeah. Um, the ult, let's start with the, the, the end, if you will, and then work back. The okay. ultimate dwelling place of the redeemed of yeah. all ages from Adam forward Yep. Uh, and by redeemed, we mean the saved, those who by personal faith have been born again or saved. Uh, the ultimate dwelling place of the redeemed is the new heavens and the new earth. Yes. Okay? So when we say, you know, go to heaven when you die or spend eternity in heaven, um, that's somewhat of a misnomer because it's not like we're going to be limited to heaven for all of eternity we will be we will have access to the new heavens and the new earth so yeah. so heaven becomes kind of a metonym for the eternal dwelling place of the redeemed but we and there's nothing wrong with saying it that way it's just we need to make sure we understand yeah now in the present age uh when someone dies we know they go immediately to be in the presence of the lord that's right but in scripture that is referred to in various ways, like a paradise or Abraham's bosom yep. or heaven, you know, or sometimes the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, and uh, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are used interchangeably. And almost all the time, that refers to the future earthly kingdom uh -huh. from which Christ will, over which Christ will reign from Jerusalem in the temple. But, um, but uh, you know, still, uh, like Jesus said, uh, in, uh, Matthew five store up treasures in heaven. Okay. Yeah. So, 
so I, I mean, I think you could, if you really had the inclination, and as I said, others have done this, sort of map out a distinction between each of those places yeah. in the same way that you can map out a distinction between the Old Testament concept of Sheol, Hades, hell, the lake of fire, the everlasting fire, all of which are different terms. Yeah. But to me, that's a little bit granular for, for, for the way my mind works. Um, uh, I think it's simplest just to say that heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's outside of time, space, and matter. Um, it's hard for us in our human minds to really comprehend because we think linearly, we think yeah. in terms of time, space, and matter. So we think geographically, right? Um, yeah, in fact, we, we had this question here uh, on a, in a, my, one of my recent Sunday morning Bible studies. Uh, they said, how can God be omnipresent? Does that mean God's in the lake of fire, for example? Well, even the term omnipresence in our minds, we think of that spatially. We think of it geographically, like you're in Illinois, I'm in Colorado, some people are over in Europe, but God exists outside of time, space, and matter. He created time, yeah. space, and matter, right? That's what Genesis 1-1 is all about. In the beginning, that's time, God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. So yeah. When that's all gone, how do we how do we even describe what eternity is like? So can't do it. So where is heaven? I guess I would simplify it as saying that's where God is. You know. <laughs> Here, I know. Let me let me give you the, the rabbit trail I went on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, in uh, Isaiah 14 is about Satan rebellion. He said, "I'll make my throne in the sides of the north." And then in Ezekiel 1, he saw a whirlwind coming out of the north. In Job, it says he stretches the, uh, the, the earth over the empty. He stretches out over the empty place, at, uh, over the north, mm -hmm. and hangeth the earth upon nothing. And then in another one, it was called, re, it was referred to uh, an empty place. And I read a book, I can't, it's in my library. I wasn't able to find it quickly today. I just thought about it where one Christian scientist and he really was a Christian and he really was a scientist said the astronomers had discovered an area in the North what they call the Northern sky where there were no celestial bodies, large empty place. So uh, that's where my study went, <laughs> but you know how I ended it up? Just like you did. I don't need a GPS or a State Farm Atlas to get there. I, I know how to get there. Amen. And then I'll know where it is. Okay? Yeah. 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 You, when it comes to getting to heaven, it's the, it's the GPS, the gospel of personal salvation. There you uh, go. That's, all, that's what you need. The good news about Jesus Christ. That's man's only hope that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for our sins, then we, uh, the doors of heaven are open to us permanently yeah. and eternally, and nothing can change that if we trust in him. So, yeah, I do think the biblical um, terminology lends itself to heaven being up and hell yeah. being down. 
Yeah. I mean, even the abyss, which is the place where demons are confined right now to be released in the uh, in times during that final seven year period, obviously is is inside the earth somewhere. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's really hard when you start trying to define locations without using yeah. space. You yeah, know? yeah, and, and I one of the other verses that knocked me out was. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm sorry I don't have the exact number, but uh, Paul said he knew a man uh, several years ago that was taken up into yeah. paradise. And so, uh, and so what is paradise? Is that uh, a synonym of heaven? Yeah. So like I said, and that's 2 Corinthians 12, I think, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. There's there's different terms, uh, and there's again, there's some good literature out there. People really doing biblical theology of each of these terms. Um, I tend to lean towards the fact that it's somewhat, you know, overplayed yeah. to to distinguish, for example, between paradise and heaven. Um, yeah. You know, Jesus told the thief on the cross, "Today you will be with me in paradise." Yeah, and and so it just seems like. Sometimes they're using synonymous words to refer to the same place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, one of the reasons we're asking these questions is because we knew what, what you're saying here. And we want to teach our people who listen on a regular basis not to get hung up. Don't hobby horse anything. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so uh, that's what we want to teach. Yeah, that's, I think that's what we're trying to display with these uh, questions that we wouldn't ask anybody else. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's 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 about uh, coming to the text and asking questions, making observations, and then connecting the dots in a way that's consistent with the teaching of God's word as a whole. Okay. Yeah. So another one of my rules is this, and if God said it stand up and speak up and if god didn't say it sit down and shut up so what i'm saying is he said 153 once and that's all he's going to say it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> that's it okay yeah, that's nice that's a great point i may i'd like to use that sometimes at conferences when people ask questions during the q a can i is it okay is it spiritual for me to say sit down and shut up i don't know <laughs> I, i've said it before and I, and I haven't got my throat slit yet so. <laughs> oh boy the people people didn't call me back for several months after that yeah. but anyway so yeah. i don't have any more questions curtis you got one i've got one I, I think we've got maybe about 10 minutes left is that right jb it, that sounds right yep okay I, I i'm sure you can answer this in probably far less than that uh in genesis chapter 22 uh, the story of uh, God testing Abraham in regards to the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. Um, uh, where he, it says um, uh, in verse two, God said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee in the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And, and Abraham uh, does it. Uh, now, you know, we think of this in contemporary terms, you know, as a father, you're a father, I'm a father. Uh, you know, if God had, had spoken to one of us and said, hey, sacrifice your kid for me, uh, wouldn't, you know, 
the normal thought process would be, but Lord, just take me instead, you know, but Abraham did it. He didn't question. He, he saddled up his ass. He took a couple of sermons and he took his son, Isaac, and he said, let's go. He even lifted the blade. Yeah. Yeah. So when they got there, the servants, uh, the scripture says the servants were, were told to wait and he and Isaac would go up and worship, which they did. And uh, when, when the time came to, to, for Isaac to be sacrificed, of course, we know the story that uh, uh, just as he was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac, uh, God provided a substitute, a ram caught in a thicket. Now, my question is this. It's actually twofold. Um, in verse, uh, oh, let's see. In verse 19 of chapter 22, after all this is done, it says, and Abraham returned unto his young men, the servants. And they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now, there's no mention of Isaac returning with Abraham to the well, servant. Yeah, so we know he did because Abraham had said, when they left the servants, um, I'm looking for the verse, but he said, you all stay well, here. Not, he said, the, we'll both return. Yeah, the lad and I will return. So Yes, okay. Yeah. And so, so Abraham, did Abraham do this and agree to do this? Because he knew that God was going to resurrect Isaac if, if he indeed had to sacrifice him? Well, so I think it's, an, it's one of the most powerful demonstrations of faith in scripture and and there are others uh but you know hebrews actually mentions this very account in commending the faith of abraham in hebrews chapter 11 um i think um i i don't know that we can say abraham knew god would provide a lamb a ram in the thicket but he all he trusted god enough to know that even if he didn't God's still God, and I'm going to obey God, and God's got this. I mean, I think yeah, yeah. a lot of people have taught this as if, you know, because of the Abrahamic promise back that yeah. was given back in Genesis 12 and reiterated several times, yeah. uh, that Abraham was confident that, hey, I don't know what God's doing here, but I know that God can't contradict himself. God can't lie. God promised that from my seed, many nations would come. For that to be true, he can't kill uh, Isaac, right. so he must have something else in mind. And I think that's very reasonable, uh, you know, uh, inference from what we see. But we don't know what was in the mind of God. But we do know that uh, if we kind of read between the lines based on the biblical text, that Abraham was confident that he and the and his son Isaac would come back. Uh, right. You know, he says, uh, it, I found the verse, it's uh, verse uh, five. Yes, verse five, he says, uh, I and the lad will go yonder to worship and come again unto you. Right. So I think it's very reasonable to conclude that Abraham's faith was, was more specific, that, uh, you know, that he, he knew somehow God was going to work this out. But but we want to be careful to stretch that too far as if to, to imply that Abraham was simply going through the motions. I believe Abraham 
was fully prepared, even to the point when he raised the knife to to sacrifice his own son in obedience to Yahweh. Yeah, yeah and, I believe that too. Yeah, and God God intervened. Um, but it's a it's a fascinating uh, story that you know again it reminds me of uh, like the the three Hebrew children in Daniel three. Um, obviously, that's many years later. This Abraham and Isaac account took place roughly 2000 BC, uh, before 2000 years before Christ, uh, the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that was, you know, roughly four or 500 years before Christ. But still, you have another example of these three young men of God, who were uh, threatened with being thrown in the fiery furnace, if they didn't bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And they said to Nebuchadnezzar, have at it. We we believe our God is fully able to to you know to sac, to uh, uh, protect us and rescue us from this fire. But they went on and said, "But even if He did, doesn't, He's still God." So I think even though we don't have that sort of glimpse into the mind of Abraham of him saying, "Look, I'm I'm going to sacrifice my son," and I think God will provide a substitute, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. Uh, you know, I think the overarching principle in both historical events is the faith, which we know from Hebrews is what is commended in Abraham, and Abraham trusted God enough to obey him, and that's that's really what the Christian life comes down to, folks, is trust Amen. and obey, like the old hymn says, and if that's we right. trust God, we'll obey him. When we don't obey God, ultimately, it's an evidence of a lack of trust. We just don't believe God, you know, God's word. So, uh, so yeah, beautiful story, and uh, and I think uh, I think it's uh, it's one that uh, I think illustrates the 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 kind of faith that all believers should have. Amen. Amen. Well, I I think I think we're almost out of time here. Uh, we had five questions. Yeah. Uh, in biblical numerology, five is the number of grace, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and isn't that what you asked us to show you on the, on the first question, you know, a little grace? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, well, I, I do feel uh, not only that you've been gracious, but it's been edifying for me personally to and for all, some and of these for verses. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the word of God is so rich. And as the psalmist said, I think we've seen uh, wondrous things from his law today. Yeah, yeah. Amen. No, no one learns the scriptures better than a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Timothy was told to study to show yourself approved unto God, and that's what we do. Amen. Okay. Amen. Okay. okay. So, um, let's just end with a with a with a brief invitation. Listen, folks, if you're not saved, please do so. Uh, you'll understand these things better if you get saved. Uh, but more than that. Um, Yes, you can go to heaven, wherever that is, if you get saved. And it doesn't require any good works uh, because you can't, you know, there's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. Salvation is simply this, for by grace are you saved through faith. Mm. Won't you believe in Jesus Christ today? Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, JB. Thank you again for um, an illuminating hour. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you gave me an example here with our Melchizedek question. Um, 
of sometimes even even the most sincere uh, Christian who's studying the word and trying to get the most out of it sometimes try too hard to get more out of it than is actually there. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's right. We've just got to let the scripture speak and uh, it's, you know, observation is key and understanding the literal historical grammatical context. And, uh, and, and a lot of times that just means stripping away our presuppositions that we've always heard Yes. And just kind of coming at it with a blank slate. But yeah, yeah thank you guys for, for a, great, uh, a great podcast today and for letting me be a part of it. And uh, just want to encourage folks to check out uh, notbyworks.org. We did a couple of podcasts this weekend with David Fiorazzo from Stand Up For The Truth Radio. Uh, those who follow Not By Works know that uh, for the last year and a half or so, I've had the privilege of being on his show about once a month. Uh, but we invited him to Colorado this weekend for some events at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia and had a fantastic time. Uh, we talked Sunday morning for about 45 minutes on a video about uh, uh, a conversation about culture and what's going on in the church at large in America. And then Sunday night, we spent about an hour, a little more than an hour, taking questions, about an hour and a half actually taking questions from the audience and both of those, the audio is posted on our podcast channel. And then uh, for the Sunday morning one, the video is also posted on our video page. So check those out. But thank you, guys. We'll look forward to doing this again next Tuesday. Absolutely, JB. Thank you again for being with us uh, this wonderful Tuesday morning. And, and uh, God bless you for, for uh, sharing your, your uh, years of study and insight and expertise with us. Uh, our listeners truly appreciate it. So do we. And thank you for being a member of our team. We, we truly love you and appreciate you, man. Likewise. All right. So until this coming Saturday morning, uh, when Pastor Dick will, will be uh, with us again for another exciting hour, uh, please uh, tune in and listen to JB's live stream from Plum Creek Chapel this Wednesday. Uh, 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, mountain Time. Mountain Time. Mountain Time. I do it every time, don't I? Uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Time uh, for his ongoing series, How to Read and Interpret the Bible. Uh, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be fantastic information. So until this Saturday morning, may God bless and keep you, and we will see you then. This is the Christian Underground News Network signing off until Saturday morning. Thank you.